There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit MarketHouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to Land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. I'm KC. I'm Tyler. And you're listening to The Element Podcast. What is going on, everybody? Guess what? Hmm. It's kind of white-taily out there. Man, is it? It is it's a like bit. 100 degrees right now. It <laughs> is a little bit hot, but uh, there's people around the country who are needing some white-tail information. There's people around the country who are hunting white-tails right now. Needy people. Deer hunting, man. Man. That's what we're here for. So if you didn't know, uh, today, the first episode of Rut Fresh Radio launched, and Tyler and I... Got co-heirs into hosting that again. Mark's mm. deflecting as usual, but uh, we're no. co-heirs in that podcast. Is what you're <laughs> <laughs> we we are hosting Rut Fresh. So if you need the uh, report as to what's going on in your neck of the woods, go check out the Wired to Hunt feed, and uh, that'll be launching on Wednesdays as well. So uh, go check that out. We appreciate the support over there. There's a lot. Uh, there's another commonality in those two podcasts: the Rut Fresh podcast and ours. Mm-hmm. Um, they're both brought to you by First Light. How about that? Yeah. Way to go, First Light. Appreciate yep. the help. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Tyler has on a striking First Light hat mm. right now. It's very nice. Thanks, man. You're welcome. I'm uh, not quite the striker that Eric Gentry is, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad uh, he's on the podcast today. So you know, normally, when we talk about him, he can't defend himself. Yep. You know? What's up, everyone? <laughs> <laughs> but he's here today. He's got his, his uh, what are those, chongolas? Is that what they call them, right? He's ready to throw them at us. Uh, In case you need slides. Cholo. The Cholo cactus. That's what (laughs) he's got. (laughs) The whole antelope. The whole antelope hunt, man. We were talking about the Cholo cactus. If y'all don't know, Eric is real funny. And uh, (laughs) he kind of gets the words jumbled up in his head a little bit. And it's it's not that he's he's very intelligent, right? But he Mm. didn't grow up in the South. So, like, there's words that he's new to. so sometimes he mispronounces them from time to time, and it's real funny for us. And 
hopefully for him a little bit as well. Acapatillo. That's <laughs> my favorite, dude. <laughs> what yeah. was the, the uh, I-Naturist? I can't even get that one right yeah, anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <a> Refugee. <laughs> There's all kinds of good stuff out there, There's man. Some good ones, for yeah, sure. But today we're going to do a uh, Q&A podcast that um, a lot of y'all submitted questions and thoughts about the early season, September and October uh, which, you know, depends on what you call early season. Some people call everything before the rut early season. There's also pre-rut in there. And, you know, around the country, things are doing different stuff, right? That's why whitetail are cool because they're all over the place doing all kinds of crazy different things, looking all kinds of crazy different ways. However, um, we have hunted some of those areas around the country, and some of y'all think that we're worth asking a question to. So we're going to give you our best shot at answering these things, and Eric's going to present them to us. But before that, we actually have an audio question from old JC. Yeah, everything uh, that we're going to hear today mostly is uh, oriented towards that kind of early season pre-rut stuff. Uh, I think this some some of these are going to be just a little more general and generic, uh, just deer hunting questions too. So you get a little bit of everything, uh, and maybe we can do these more specific as we go throughout the season and hit some of the stages of the the season or the rut. But this is uh, JC right here. See, uh, my question for you guys is: I hunt on about a thousand acre farm uh, here in Ohio, and we've just had like a really hard time trying to just like pin down the movement of these bucks that we have on our property. Um, like we'll get bucks just that'll just randomly show up. It's hard to keep them on the property. Almost it feels like uh, it's it's like three and a half blocks of woods probably. Uh, they're they're all pretty decent sized woods, um, but it doesn't seem like the bucks have any rhyme or rhythm to the way they move on the property. Um, so I was wondering if there's any way just to try to either keep them on the property or try to pin their movement down. We probably have five cameras out across eight stands on the property. Um, so yeah, if you guys have any tips or pointers, that would be great. Thank you. It'd be good to know a little more about the property, but um, it sounds like food would be a key factor to add to this property because he, he did mention woods um, and in blocks. I'm not exactly sure, but I think that's more like the shape of the timber that, that he thinks about when he looks at the aerial. And then um, with that said, it seems like that's kind of like a, a big feature. So... Um, Adding food would be probably pretty key. And then it also sounds like to me that potentially that they don't see a whole lot of buck action until the rut. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, it is hard to pattern deer during that time of season. And there's no rhyme or reason to the way they move a lot of times. I mean, there's there are some sub subtly, but generally speaking, the, the only rhyme you can find is that they're going to go after doe bedding and doe, and where the does are feeding too. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have the food, then that's that's a exponentially the problem, you know. Ohio is a state, I believe, that you can put corn on the ground mm -hmm. in piles or from feeders. And uh, if food is the issue uh, or could even be a secondary issue, you don't have to hunt over it if you got some moral obligation, you know, against it or whatever, but you still could feed the deer mm. and do that centrally in the property. And that'd be a good way to keep those bucks somewhat on the property. They, now, they do have to have appropriate bedding, you know, and I'm not a big buck bedding guy. I don't think you can build specific <coughs> buck beds and all that. But uh, you might make sure that um, there's a good spot for those deer to hide out. 
if it is a thousand acres, it's a pretty good sized place. And a lot of times on places that big, people like to run their ATVs around. Mm-hmm. So one of the reasons that you might not be seeing bucks consistently is they're getting bumped off there a lot. But uh, the does don't seem to be as sensitive to that kind of stuff. And, yep. you know, you just have a big place. So sooner or later, there's going to be some deer on there. So you might look at um, the non-hunting pressure side of things somewhat, yep. which I guess you could still call that hunting pressure. But, like, I've seen it a lot where, you know, guys kind of treat the two tracks as like a highway. And I'm not trying to be critical uh, of JC and his family or friends that are hunting there, but just thoughts, you know, that might be happening and maybe – uh, you know, if you're listening, you've had a similar situation. But if you can limit the amount of traffic, vehicle traffic on a place, especially ATVs, because they're loud and obnoxious and to deer, they mean hunting. Mm. You know, like the only thing worse than catching you doing the Sasquatch walk is driving your four wheeler by them. You know, a, a truck is a little bit different, mm-hmm. you know, because a lot of times they're used to ranchers or whatever and they're just kind of quiet and less obtrusive. Um, but those are kind of my thoughts on that, yeah. too. You know, a lot of people, He's this is a polarizing guy, but his name is Ted Nugent, and I've listened to him one time say, so you're telling me I can't take the corn from the field over here and put it over here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's like you when you said a moral problem with the corn, mm-hmm. it made me think about that. It's like, yeah. man, you know, it's just kind of using like the most basic of human ingenuity to take mm-hmm. the corn from the field and put it a little bit more advantageous for you to That's kill right. something, you know. That's right, man. Um, and I, I mean, I don't really have a problem with hunting over bait at all. I don't sometimes because it's more fun to do something else. But, I mean, if you are trying to be efficient with your hunts, you know, you, and you are working all week and you got – uh well, how's the line in the song go? <laughs> Working oh, all week. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Five foot uh, three, 300 pounds, right? Oh, yeah. oh, that one. That's that a good song. song. I don't uh, know that song. Uh, so, anyways. Who's uh, that? Oliver Anthony. Christopher. Or Christopher Anthony. Oh, Christopher. Oh, uh, okay. That seems to be a popular any people, song right any now. Any people, they know. That's they know it, his man. actual name. Redheads, they stick together. Yeah. That's why yeah. Eric knows all about him. Um, Listen, he was but, Andy for like three days, man. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, what were we talking about there? Oh, if you're trying to be efficient with your hunts, you know, you got to work all week and you have, you know, four hunts on the weekend or five if you're doing good, then, you know, like it's probably a pretty good idea to put as many things in your favor as you can. Yeah, put a fudge around in your pack and go after That's it. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, Just don't make me pay for them. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. It's uh, that's That's a good point, though. Like, man. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably like to hunt and shoot things, man. Mm-hmm. And and uh, we can go out and, and be hikers and nature lovers and stuff like that if you want. Uh, but I, I kind of have like – I have some goals when I go out hunting. And if I'm carrying a weapon, it's usually because I'm trying to shoot something. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know. We we're going to have we, a Texas lease this year, and we're going to have corn on the ground at the Texas yeah. lease. Guarantee you. Because you know why? We're if shooting we 50 cows. That's right. <laughs> if we didn't, the deer would be eating corn elsewhere. I guarantee you they would. So, anyways, yeah. uh, that we might have even just kind of gone too much of a side trip on yeah, your question, we there, did. JC. But um, I think we answered it for yeah. the most part. But yeah, I think I think those are those are things you got to think about, man. That's a good point about the ATV stuff. You know, like bigger properties can be that way, and also you know with those ATV trails, like people don't want to uh, maybe like to think about this, but those things might just go through some of the best habitat on the place. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about like. Uh, some of the problems we had in Arkansas last year where ATVs were driving in the only dry spots mm-hmm. around, right? They're mm-hmm. on the high ground. So, they're, you know, where a deer, where you might want to hunt a deer is, is might have an ATV trail right down the middle of it. So, anyway, thanks to think about. We've got a billion questions, so we should probably answer a little faster. All right. 
What are you running cams over, and how long are you leaving them if you're not getting pictures? I haven't run one over yet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, I almost ran over yours today back here. I'd do like nine-point turn, turn around back here by your deer feeder. But um, I uh, right now I'm running one camera over corn, and it's running the battery dead because it's taking so many pictures because the deer are just hammering it because we're in the drought. Uh, if you're hunting public land, uh, it's a good time of year to go out and maybe find those scrapes that are going to start being active, you know, like the perennial licking branches, trails, uh, fence crossings, creek crossings. Those are all things that we would run cameras over this time of year. Just haven't done. We really, I mean, have gotten to where we don't run a lot of cameras preseason. It's yep. it's uh, almost not worth it because those things shed their velvet, and at least where we live around, uh, they shed their velvet mid-September, and around September 25th, they change everything they were doing, and it's hardly worth running a camera early. Now, if you want to move that into October, that's a great time to start thinking about those uh, scrapes and stuff mm-hmm. like that because those things are just going to start working and, and work better and better throughout the season. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts on that? Um, I would say that I have seen some people send me some pictures of deer that have already shed their velvet. Mm-hmm. And I think that maybe with the drought, these deer just stopped growing earlier because mm-hmm. they just weren't eating good nutritious stuff or something maybe. I don't know. Or maybe just their their velvet got sunban- sunburned, you know, or whatever. But mm-hmm. um, anyway, I think – that potentially if you're going to go like what Casey gave you that number late in September, maybe you can get them out earlier and, and do decent with deer that have already relocated after the velvet shed. Um, but yeah, I would just emphasize trails as being, especially trails headed to food, right. Or trails near bedding. They don't have to move far in a lot of places, especially when there's not a drought like we've Mm -hmm. got. If you're in an area that, there hasn't been really a drought, then they don't have to move far at all. So it's hard to catch them doing anything. But, yeah, right now trails and scrapes in the near future. He asked uh, when would you move them. Um, or I really don't intend on moving cameras too often when I put them out. We run a lot of cell cameras nowadays, and usually if I'm putting a camera out, I'm actually probably collecting data later in the year with that camera. So, like, I don't, I don't do a lot of camera shuffle. But I know in the upper Midwest that's a thing. People yeah. do that a lot. So I, I don't really like if you're not getting pictures in a, for a couple nights, just wait to about October 18th. You'll start getting a few pictures. Yeah, I think in the South, it, cool weather is going to help a lot. Mm-hmm. All right, next question is, what are some creative ways you found good access for morning hunts? Just don't walk through the bedding <laughs> <laughs> or the or the where they're feeding. I guess yeah. for the morning hunt. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, there's obvious stuff, right? Like, you can do water access stuff. Um, yeah. I don't know. One thing for me, like, if I'm hunting, this is, this is considering this is September, October, mainly focused, uh, like, uh, stuff that's closer to the road um, can be good. I think about South Dakota in 2021, um, we didn't really have to go far in. Uh, but there's so many times that I've been able to access from the road and not have to walk into through a bunch of stuff because, you know, those deer, they know they can just sit there and hear cars all day. And if it never gets any closer, that doesn't bother them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So if a, if a car does not get off the road or do something weird and they're just going by, those deer, just they see it every day. So it's no big deal. So I think of that as like, uh, you know, 
being fairly unobtrusive. And then also, um, if you can get in early because you're not going very far in, you're hunting close to the road somewhat, um, you can get in front of those deer that are coming back uh, to bed before they get before they get in there and you mess them up. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's just, that's just that's one creative yeah. thought that just hit me right off the bat, I guess. You're a good guy for this because I've seen you do this a lot where uh, – you'll be hunting deer that are feeding here and bedding there and that'll be like you know the distance is x and you'll walk x times three to get to that spot to go way around where they're at to not mess Mm -hmm. them up Mm -hmm. and i can think of a spot on texas public that is kind of like that where um the deer are feeding on private and they're going to end up on public to bed that afternoon and if you want to do it right you got to walk in from the opposite direction as to what is easy to go mm-hmm. do that. So I think it's just in the mornings, it's not about like making sure you're two miles back, but it right. is about making sure that you're not bumping the deer. Yeah. Cause here's something I'm starting to think about animals. I haven't thought too much about it in my past, or at least like actively thought about it, but an animal's one job is to survive, right? Let's mm-hmm. take deer, for instance, I learned it with antelope too. And like, uh, when we're hunting antelope out there, if they caught you moving at all, which they're very good at, they have no reason to say, I'm going to overlook whatever I just saw, and I'm still going to go that way. Mm. And deer are probably a lot like that, too. Mm-hmm. Like, if a deer, especially, um, you know, if it's not in the rut, or they don't mm-hmm. have, like, one way out of a place, or whatever, because deer don't ever do that anyways. They always have an escape from something, but... If you give them any reason at all not to go over there, they're not going to do it. They're not going to, like, overcome something to go where they wanted to go. They're mm-hmm. just going to change their plans. Mm-hmm. So you don't – you need to make sure you're not bumping stuff. That's right, especially if you want to shoot a big buck. Because mm-hmm. we were – me and Eric were watching a video um, to this morning of a two-year-old buck that came really close to us in Kansas one year, and I got some really cool footage of him. The, he's smelling where we walked into the tree stand mm-hmm. off edge of that field the whole time. But he's two years old, so he just lets it <clears throat> be a weird thing. And he comes in, he even comes in towards our tree and looks, and he's, like, looking through our tree, like, mm-hmm. where did this person go that's been here in the last couple hours? Mm-hmm. And then he just walks out and goes away. He, you know, he, he didn't just keep following and try to find it, but he was inquisitive enough. A four-year-old buck just might even just literally run away, mm-hmm. you know? I've seen that happen on ground since, so mm-hmm. do you have to be very careful? Good question, man. All right, best thing to target going into new public land? Um, yeah, I read that one a while ago. I was like, oh, there's a sarcastic answer in there. I'm going to keep on with those, um, those the, answers. Um, new public land, I think that you need to be looking at the map. We use Onyx, and you need to figure out where uh, you think deer are bedding, where you think they're eating, and try to get in between there. That's probably the thing to do. Now, when once you get on the ground, fresh deer sign. I mean, it's mm-hmm. something that uh, I overlooked for a long time, but honestly, I did this last year. Went to a place, and uh, it was mid-October. Never been there before. And wouldn't you know, there's a lot of fresh rubs. We hang at the tree stand. We see a lot of bucks. You know, like it's it's kind of cut and dry. Now, when you start targeting, targeting a specific deer, it's different probably. I don't do that very often. But, you know, when you're looking at a map, uh, <coughs> food, where they're going to sleep, and then when you get on the place, fresh deer sign. Mm-hmm. I would say um, you might have said it in right order that way at that time, uh, but definitely uh, I usually try to find food that's uh, close enough that I think deer will destinate there. 
and then I can find uh, from there, I can figure out if there's bedding options for them and how far they are from the food and how far they are from the parking lot. And that'll, that'll give me a good idea if that's a place that's uh, worth putting a blue ribbon on or not. All right. What happened to the podcast? Why no more pot? Uh, yeah. Why no? Why no more episodes <laughs> of podcasts? Mm-hmm. It's a question. I don't know. It's I, tr- I don't know. But probably because we've they probably asked that because we missed a week. Maybe. I don't know. But you're listening here. There is a podcast. <laughs> if you go. can hear us, yeah. <clears throat> Strategy for extreme heat in Canada. So, like, what, 60 degrees? <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I know I know, global warming, right? It's yeah. climate change now. Uh, um, whatever. So, which is funny. Um, <laughs> so, man, you know, I've never hunted Canada. I'd like to. I've hunted some kind of northerly states that feel like Canada. You better go before they outlaw it up there. Uh, I mean, I don't think they will let me unless I spend a lot of money with an outfitter. Um, but That's right. You have to have an outfitter, right? I think so, yes. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, um, I would say the strategies would be very similar, like, anywhere there's extreme heat. I mean, 95 in Canada might be extreme heat, and 110 would be extreme heat here, you know, or mm-hmm. whatever. So, um I'd say water is potentially a thing. Um, I would say that bedding must be like some, sometimes you can find deer that'll bed in sage flats or something like that, you know, or something that's kind of a shorter, um, you know, bush or whatever. And I would say if there's not shade, then there's probably not deer there when it's extremely hot for that location. So either bigger trees or some sort of uh, evergreen, like a cedar or a pine up there or something like that, or spruce up there. Um, hmm. Anything green food source-wise probably yeah. would be what to what they would try that, to that get water from. That was one of my main points is um, I just still don't trust hunting water sources. I'm not a huge truster either. I know that uh, Tony Peterson is all about it. And he kills deer on it, but he's very patient, I think, too. Mm-hmm. And so, like, sooner or later, deer will show up. And I think that you have to differentiate between are you in extreme drought or extreme heat? Is yeah, it a hot for day? for sure. I thought the same thing. Or is it a time where, for the past month, it's been drier than usual? <clears throat> and I think if you are in extreme drought, deer are easier to kill in an extreme drought. Yeah, I, I, I think too. they're concentrated. I think they have to move to find food. And, and it's not always the funnest hunt. Uh, but uh, it is sometimes easier to kill deer if you know where they're at because they have to move to go to do stuff. Now, if it's just an extremely hot day in a normal um, climate, like, it's probably pretty tough. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they just will hold until it's later. I mean, you can look at trail cameras right now, and on the really hot days, usually the deer are moving later. Yeah. And on the normal hot days, they're kind of out. So I think that would be a differentiating thing. But the green food source, I think, is a thing. I think... To go back to the water versus green food, I think that deer don't drink water every day. And sometimes they might. I don't know. But I think that they eat green stuff every day for sure, and mm-hmm. they get a lot of water from that. Mm-hmm. So if you can find the green food, it's probably a better thing than the water. Yeah. Um, there was something else I was going to add. Um, I, can't, I can't remember what it was. Um, 
Yeah, I can't remember. That's we gave a lot of stuff there though. I think so. Mm-hmm. There's some options, man. I mean, kill them. You can, oh, that that was it. Uh, if it's you mentioned that they might come out last light because it's just in a, a hot day, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'd say like if you do the thermocell thing or whatever, it's probably pretty ideal because you need to hang in the stand as long as possible. What boots do y'all wear? I wear a lot of different types of boots. Uh, I think for if you want to say like for most of deer season. Wear a lacrosse. Um, it's like the Alpha Agility. I think that's right. Is that right? It up. It's a rubber boot that has a lot of neoprene. It's pretty lightweight. Usually wear no insulation. Yeah. Uh, and then um, I've got some crispy somethings that I wore. Uh, antelope hunting, and I've got some other lacrosse boots that I wear. Sometimes yeah, too. I wear lacrosse load stars a lot when I know I'm not going to encounter water. Uh, and then the same thing, Alpha Agilities is what I usually hunt a lot in during the season. Yeah. If you want me to stand behind something, that Alpha Agility. I like the heck out yeah, of it. And here's the thing, guys, is like there's there are products that are built really tough uh, and rugged, and there are products that are built light and fast, and there's those things usually almost never can actually fully cross. People can market it that way, but mm-hmm. it's not really that way most of the time. Um, these alpha agilities are really, really nice. Uh, but they are a neoprene top. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just I, like a duck waiter, you can get a hole in them. Yeah. I had one tear last year, yeah. but I'm hard on them. Yeah. Know? We're, I mean, we hunt a lot too. And the, I mean, they're just as comfortable. I can walk mm-hmm. a mile back in them and yeah. not have any issues. I tore one. I'm still going to wear them. Oh, for it's sure. Me too. Like, I'm not like, I've got oh, a hole I'm not wearing those anymore. Yeah. yeah. I could, I could get a new one, but I'm not, I'm just cheap but you know Mm. they're awesome you ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in you crave wide open spaces fresh air the chance to connect with the land well maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild but searching for property can be a maze that's where Land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to Land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Yeah, and Market House provides everything from grass-fed beef to free-range chicken, Mm. grass-fed lamb, and even wild-caught king crab and seafood. 
Market House keeps small farm values, trusted sources, and clean mouth-watering food for your family. And like I said, Market House ships all orders overnight. Order today, enjoy tomorrow. And you can even keep the camo on for dinner, even if the filet mignon is on the table. With Market House, it doesn't matter because the cuts and catches come straight to your door. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. And everybody knows how hard it is these days to find high-quality, sustainably sourced meat and seafood at their local grocery store. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit MarketHouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. Where are the big deer? Uh, Well... I can't remember the law. I never can remember it. But the further north you go, the bigger the animals get. That's mm-hmm. uh, it's like Murphy's principle or something like that. Um, so as far north as you can get, the whitetail exists. Uh, would be a good a good answer for that. Um, and then um, there are certain states that it's really hard to get a tag in, and those are other good places. Mm-hmm. Bergman's uh, rule. Bergman's is rule. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's that's it, man. The. I mean. You can kind of see what the what the <clears throat> department's management techniques are. If it's an opportunity, it's just like in the Western stuff. Mm-hmm. Like they manage on a unit by unit basis a lot of times, but sometimes statewide too. Mm-hmm. And you know, Colorado is managed on. Uh, they want you. They want as many people to hunt elk as possible. And there's only a few. There's only a couple of units where like people might take twenty, thirty years to to draw. And shoot a big one but the rest of them are a lot of them are managed just to shoot you know nice bulls or or smaller bulls arizona is a little different like it's i mean even some of their mid-tier units might take you 10 plus years you know so unless you apply for a cow tag <laughs> <laughs> then you get to shoot a big cow then you get to shoot a big old arizona cow first um, time yeah so but that's the same way with whitetails. You know, they're going to – different states will manage differently. You know, Oklahoma manages so that a lot of people can shoot nice bucks, but not – you know, you don't typically see a ton of just giants coming out, uh, historically speaking, from from Oklahoma. There are big bucks, right? But they're in every mm-hmm. state. And that's the thing – that's the beauty of whitetails. A big elk, he, he just can't hide. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He's he's like literally can be in the Gila wilderness, right? And and be found by somebody and get shot by the governor's tag or whatever. Mm-hmm. A big a big whitetail can live in a city park and nobody even gives two cents about him his whole life. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and he could be shot potentially, but Dang. he's oh. not going to get shot because nobody cares about him in that area. We love to dream about them city bucks, man. I'm telling There's you, there's some nice ones. There are. Uh, I mean, but, that's that's the thing though. I mean, I guess that's if that would answer part of his yeah. question is like, hey, man. Maybe uh, an urban, you know, you see the Seek One guys shoot mm-hmm. a bunch of urban big giant deer, and it's because those deer live without people pursuing them for most of their lives. And and then also it's tough, right? It's tough to get permission or whatever mm-hmm. they might do or, you know, find a place that you can actually shoot that deer on, even for the guys who are chasing that deer. So Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I don't know what state you're in, but if you feel like you're in a state that there aren't big deer, uh, it's worth traveling to go see if you can find some mm-hmm. uh, because there are states. I mean, 
our state's huge, right? But we live in a part of the state where there aren't very many big deer. So it's worth traveling around. And you'll, yeah. a lot of times you'll learn a lot about where big deer do live when you do that kind of stuff too. Mm-hmm. You can look at the Boone and Crockett map. That'll help you make decisions too. Do you guys key in on food or bedding more this time of year? Really food probably for me. Like mm-hmm. I can, if the food sits in the right spot and it's the right type of food, I can probably find where some deer will be. And if I do that three or four times, I can find a buck that's a shooter buck, probably, you know, in one of those spots. It's really like the line between the two things. You know, you're trying to set up in the most advantageous place for you as a hunter between where the deer deer spent its day and where it's going to spend its night. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the food is a lot easier to figure out and probably a lot more important Mm -hmm. because most of the time there's one good food source. Or, you know, mm. or a destination, but that deer might can bed a hundred places. Yeah, a deer needs like eight square feet to yeah, hide, you know. Exactly. So, so the, the food is the thing you find the fir- you find first. You make a good point, though, about setting up in between, right? I didn't think about I was thinking about it from a scouting standpoint. Mm-hmm. But from a, from a setup standpoint, generally speaking, if that's what you're talking about, uh, be, you would want to set up closer. Uh, if you don't know where it's bedding, you want to set up closer to that food source in the evenings. And then if you can figure out where it's bedding, you can hunt mornings and set up closer to the bedding mm-hmm. in that situation. Yeah, that's that's that actually is a good thing to bring up, man, because uh, you don't want to hunt in the evening. Well, you could, and it might would work out for you. People shoot deer with with soybeans in their mouth, right? Mm-hmm. But most of the time, a big buck is going to arrive at the food source usually later, maybe even after shooting light. So it's good to kind of push in a little bit, you know, backtrack from that food. I'm thinking spot. I might shoot one with beans in its mouth this year. That'd be cool. I'm going to try, dude. That'd be awesome. Be Man, you watch some videos from some of the real tree guys or whatever, and they're out there at 430 with deer in the field just eating alfalfa. It That's looks cool. fun. Yeah. I'm going to try to make that happen. Let's dude. do it. <laughs> Is there plenty of public to hunt in Texas? No. Well, it depends on. <laughs> if you're uh, trying to hunt things. doves, then um, there's yeah, for real. some places. Uh I mean, there's plenty for the amount of people that are doing it, uh, but I wouldn't say that it's a destination. Yeah, it's not like uh, there's other places where you'd have more space for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've hunted, I've hunted November, uh, second week in November in Iowa and seen nobody. Yeah, on public. Yeah, that doesn't happen in Texas. No, I would say like um, if you're wanting to come try it, do it. But uh, if if I'm speaking like logically to you and not i'm not trying to mislead you and tell you don't come to texas but literally if you're in another state don't make texas a public land destination mm-hmm. because you're you you could be more efficient with your money also your if you have some sort of private connection or just a little extra dime to spend mm-hmm. on some private permission in texas that is certainly the way to go oh yeah but you know th- it goes back to like the the uh you know, should, can I move the corn over there and hunt? And mm-hmm. you, I mean, if you got a problem with that, and you if you got a problem with if you want to hunt and make it harder on yourself by hunting public land and give yourself a challenge because you're you know so good a hunter or whatever it might be, or you just if you're bored or whatever, then go do it. I mean, for sure, go give it a try. Yeah, it's just it's just to me at this point, I get a little bit frustrated when you know. I walk into a spot that's a really good spot that I've map scouted or something, and there's a tree stand in there and a camera that's taking my picture, and it just feels like 
a dude was in here two days ago mm-hmm. on Saturday. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, or just plain and simple, like we had a dude that killed a deer in a spot the day before we hunted it, and then he came in and got his stand the next morning while we were in there at 7.50 in the morning, you know. Messes your whole. I mean, and when you get up at four in the morning or three in the morning, it hurt. It hurts you, man. It's it's not fun. Like, and of course, stuff can happen on private, but it is just way less likely. Mm -hmm. Tips for hunting early season mornings. I use a three blade mechanical. (laughs) (laughs) That's good, man. Dang, dude, you're you're moving fast. Keep on. I'm gonna keep early season mornings. uh, We kind of covered a little bit of that earlier, but I think it's uh, don't bump the fields. Or mm-hmm. the food sources when mm-hmm. you're trying to go in where you're going to hunt. Um, y'all, if you listen often or you watch stuff, you know that I actually really like mornings in the early season because you get a lot more cooler time of day in the early season uh, in the morning. So um, I think be patient, especially if you're in the cover. Like um, sometimes it takes them a little while to get somewhere. Deer either move fast or slow. That's like how they do stuff, right? And unless it's the rut and they're cruising. They're either, like, getting somewhere in the morning, early season, or they're, like, just lackadaisically walking back. And it might it might be 9 o'clock before they end up where you're at. And, in fact, sometimes they're waiting on the morning thermals to kick in before they actually get, move to a place. So you got to let that sun get up so that, you know, they'll have a consistent wind and know kind of where they need to go for the day. So uh, I think that would be one of my big things is to be patient. Yeah. How to find potential buck bedding while e-scouting a property. Tyler, uh, you're the best at this. So. This is September <laughs> and October. I mean, kind of goes back to earlier what I answered. Um, here's, here's a thought first before I say this. Um, buck bedding is a term that is used often in the last couple of years. And, man, buck bedding south of the Mason-Dixon is maybe a little bit of a farce or something like that. You know, it's like there, they can happen. There can be a buck that beds in a certain location like five days a week. You know what I mean? It can happen, but it just, we don't see it often. And I think that when you hear the term buck bedding, a lot of times you hear it or it originated from somebody who is, very far north in the U.S. a lot of times, or pretty far north, which ends up meaning that if you don't hunt that area, then it may not apply to you. Mm-hmm. And those those areas are a lot of times in hill country um, or have uh, different elevation changes and and or they're in marshes where there's only some, so much dry ground to bed on. Um, and if it's not, if you don't live in hill country or in a marsh, then those are two places, you know, those are kind of the two places that I think of buck bedding. Uh, I think more in terms of deer bedding, and then you can, sometimes you can observe or sit as an observation sit to figure out if there is a buck that is bedding in that area. But for instance, like, I mean, this is, this is far north, but it's not a marsh and it's not hill country. But I, in South Dakota last year, if you watched Buck Truck on the Meat Eater channel, you saw me bed a buck and go in and hunt him and shoot him that evening. But guess what? The evening before, Eric and I sat in the same place and saw two bucks, including a small one, but one that was bigger than the one I even shot, both come out of that area in where they were bedded 
And we did not see either one of those the entire next day from the time the sun came up to the sun went down. And we only were gone from there for a couple hours eating lunch. And so they, they were nowhere to be found. So you could call it buck bedding because there were some bucks bedding back in there. But there was also does bedded back in there. The mm-hmm. first one that came out that evening I shot was a doe. Mm-hmm. And so it's really, I think people need to just make sure and understand that like finding a buck's particular bed and just hunting that buck might be just a dream that that happens every once in a while if you don't hunt in the right area or whatever and it might even be um you know it might even be a little bit of hyperbole when you hear about it so i guess my point is that's that's my big disclaimer to say find deer bedding and the way to do that typically i like to see if you're looking for bucks too, especially, I like to see a place that the the food source is far enough away from from a road that um, they would feel comfortable at least. Well, it didn't even have to be that far from the road, actually. Uh, if you want to shoot them close to the food source, then then it does. But otherwise, if it's the right food source, they'll destinate there, and then from that food source, typically, like I don't know quarter mile anywhere up to close to a mile from that food source an area that's very remote far from parking far from human activity and potentially has like some sort of water that can grow brush around it i'm uh i'm on that further sorry that took so long man it's okay i was falling i was tracking uh i have a little theory i developed while you were doing this all right Uh, you're talking about this um, because I was looking on the map today for buck bedding uh, on a place that we hunt, and trails are going to show you that a lot of times, especially yeah. when you're talking about bed to food. If you can look on the map and find trails, uh, you're going to be able to find places that deer are bedding because you'll see these places that the, the trails kind of uh, spiderweb into, and then they don't leave from the mm-hmm. other side, mm-hmm. right? So you know those deer are staying in that area. And... I think that, especially bucks, but deer in general, um, they kind of reset every night or every morning, every day. So, like, they only know what goes on in their world from what they perceive. And I think that bucks, this is, I'm going to have to follow this throughout the year as a theory, but I think that bucks like to cover more distance so that they can perceive more about their area and know what's going on in their area. You know what I mean? Like, like a buck, in preparation for the rut, you're saying? Yeah, or even just in the day. Like, you know, you, th- you can think about it like in a rut situation. The reason bucks are cruising is because wherever they were, they didn't have what they wanted. Mm-hmm. So they are going and taking in more stimulus from other areas, mm-hmm. right? And so even in a bed-to-food early season pattern, uh, bucks are liable to want to cover more distance so they'll know what coyotes in the area, what hunters have been through there, what other bucks have walked through there, where do the does go, however they think, right? Mm -hmm. But I think that they very well, because I've always been like, man, there's no rhyme or reason as to like why deer cover so much ground. Uh, You know, like some states we go, there'll be a food source. And then these deer walk by a whole bunch of good habitat to go bed over in that place. It's like, what are they? Oh, hi. That's old hands. <laughs> You'll be Glad like, that what? wasn't on video. <laughs> yeah, uh, You'll be like, why are they, why are they doing that? And I think it's just because the more ground they cover, the better they feel about their surroundings. Mm-hmm. 
So there might be something to that to think about targeting buck bedding. Dude, you know? even on a micro level, you think about like the J hook into mm-hmm. a bed situation. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah, the deer comes in to scent check, right? He's mm-hmm. trying to learn more about that area before he beds in it. Yeah, so. exactly. So if he has to make a big old loop from where he's bedding, you know, go up a ridge and then drop into a field where it has a, a canal along the side of it, and he walks that whole thing to get to the food, well, he's done figured out who's in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, if he beds right on the edge of it, he doesn't really know what's going on except for what he can see. Mm-hmm. Dang, that deer are cool, man. They are, man. That was a long-winded answer. It was. Sorry. When do you all switch focus from water to pinch points? Um, so if we're talking about early season, um, probably I bet I am almost always thinking about pinch points. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, you know, pinch points in the rut are a little more effective. I get it right. But you think about the deer you shot in South Dakota last year. You're still kind of hunting a pinch point, even though there's water there, right? I mean, yeah. There, I mean, I wouldn't say he was forced to where I was at, mm-hmm. uh, but it's either walk in the open or walk near the next the tree line, dude. It's like it's kind of common sense, and I'm not. This is a great question, mm-hmm. uh, but it's kind of common sense that at one point in my life, I spent a lot of time in the woods not seeing deer, mm-hmm. and then I decided, you know, kind of in the back of my mind. I'm going to hunt a pinch point every time and you start seeing deer because they have to be pinched. So like if you want to have efficient hunts, hunt a pinch point every time in some sense of the word, and you'll probably see and encounter more deer. Man, it's, and it's, it's really like, I think there may be something there too, where like you hunt pinch points a lot too, because when you're pre-scouting on, on X, Mm -hmm. like your whole mentality is, when you're really starting to narrow down your spots, you've got like a bunch of them on the map. You're like, which one do I go to first? Mm-hmm. You're wanting to go to the one where you can shoot one with a bow. Mm-hmm. And for a bow hunter, it's typically like I need to be able to shoot 40 yards one way and 40 yards the other way. Like a 100-yard pinch, it gives me a lot of chance there, you know. Yeah, do you think about some of the uh, places that we've hunted in more open states. Mm-hmm. You'll sometimes set up and be like, dadgummit, I'm just like taking out a swath. And he could walk over there, or he could walk over there, yeah. anywhere he wants to, and then you'll sit there and just watch deer all night and mm-hmm. not have any shots, you know? So yeah. it's like, those pinch points are where it's at. They are, man. And we've seen it in um, in Texas when we hunt on public. There's a place that we had a lot of good encounters last year, actually. And I think about this area, and it's very flat, right? Mm-hmm. There's a reason that nobody killed in that area. Mm-hmm. Because it's very flat, mm-hmm. there ain't much to pinch them. There's mm-hmm. a bunch of deer in there, though. Yeah, because you know it does, and so it's like eventually the odds are you'll run into one. But when you go out of state, you got like five days. How much time do you have? That's exactly That's right. right. Manage your expectations and put yourself in the best situation possible. Mm-hmm. Um, what am I doing wrong? Only got Everything. deer. <laughs> <laughs> only got deer on camera at night on public land. You are not close enough to where they're bedding. That's the mm-hmm. plain and simple of it. Um, you're, and here's the thing that's fun about public sometimes because if you were, if this was you on private land, you're probably toast. Yeah, but on public point. you have you have place like generally speaking, you have a way to to find these deer or get closer to where they're bedding because you have thousands of acres a lot of times, mm-hmm. and so uh, I would. 
this is so let's just think about the first nice buck I ever chased on Texas public land. Um, we called him Teenager, and I found him at night close to a food source, and I was able to go. He's coming from that direction, so I'm going to move a camera to my next that direction couple hundred yards and see if I can pick him up on my next idea of a pinch point or whatever right didn't find him move the camera again to a different direction in you know same direction general direction he came from but just a different place that there's a pinch point a couple hundred yards from that and lo and behold he's on there in daylight a bunch mm-hmm. for the like in February in January right after the season and so that's the way to do it essentially in my opinion is just Find out which way these deer are coming from and just start backtracking down those trails. And you can you can do it as small increments as you want. Mm-hmm. But that's, I mean, if you really want to narrow down where they're betting, that's that's where it's at. And you, it's not that you don't stand a chance. You just might have to make, wait till the rut if you want to hunt where your camera is. There's, uh, there's two other things that I thought about in that situation, too. There's a chance you haven't found their most limited resource. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's probably the thing they're going to go to first. So whether that is food or water, or, you know, if it's the rut, does, whatever it might be, uh, there's a chance that you are just not quite on the thing that they want to be at. Because deer will meander throughout the night and go try to eat this or whatever, and you might be getting some of that. The other thing is that you just might not be in good enough cover because mm-hmm. deer will daylight in, in places they're fi- they feel comfortable in. But then, you know, we all know this. Uh, you drive down the road at night, and you see deer in the, in the road ditches because mm-hmm. they have something to eat, but it's, they have the cover of darkness, so they feel comfortable, right? Mm-hmm. So you're probably just in a place that they don't feel comfortable during the day. I'd say bail off in the cover uh, and find a place to put your camera at in there. Yeah, good thoughts. Um, Angel says, take me, question mark. Uh, Angel, um, you know what? You get to proverbially, man, I missed the word up, mm. <laughs> proverbially uh, go with us everywhere we go via the Element YouTube channel and the Meteor YouTube channel on the Buck Truck series, which, by the way, the final two episodes of Buck Truck are going to launch the first week of October. I would not right? make any <laughs> bold predictions here. Uh, uh, but I would say that the latest on the street is last week of September, first week of October. Okay. Well, there's a couple more episodes, excuse me, that uh, Tyler's really excited watch. about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, we are excited about it. We are actually. Yeah. yeah those episodes are really cool. Um, but here's the thing, guys, is. Um, there's, I think I've addressed this, but there's not a buck truck, formally buck truck series coming out this year. Um, so what that allows us to do is get a lot more stuff out to you a lot quicker and potentially, I mean, you need to be subscribed to the element channel because there's going to be very potentially a lot of deer hunting videos coming out on the element channel. Our own Eric Gentry. Let's go, dude. It's going to be on there quite a bit. Let's yeah. go. Yeah. Uh, there is a question. Where's the buck truck heading this fall? Uh, well, it might be headed to your driveway. If you'd like to purchase the buck truck, reach out. Uh, but, <laughs> For real. <laughs> um, should have put it in that house of oddities thing. Yeah, we should have. That's pretty that odd been thing. a pretty good deal. <laughs> man. Uh, man, I wish that's a good thought. Dude. Yep. I wish we thought Just about that. Just hit me. Um, Just hit me. But, um... They would have wanted me to donate it at that point. See, in time. No, I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> Greg's the only one doing much donating that's around right, here. That's right, donator. So, yeah. Um... So the buck truck's heading a lot of places. Uh, The next place it is headed is New Mexico.
You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land. Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Yeah, and Market House provides everything from grass-fed beef to free-range chicken, Mm. grass-fed lamb, and even wild-caught king crab and seafood. Market House keeps small farm values, trusted sources, and clean mouth-watering food for your family. And like I said, Market House ships all orders overnight. Order today, enjoy tomorrow. And you can even keep the camo on for dinner, even if the filet mignon is on the table. With Market House, it doesn't matter because the cuts and catches come straight to your door. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. And everybody knows how hard it is these days to find high-quality, sustainably sourced meat and seafood at their local grocery store. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit markethouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. All right. First year hunting Oklahoma on opening day. Going to be hotter than what he's used to. Any tips? Uh, I'd wear... Um, Minimal amounts of clothing. I would too. Actually, we. So this would be a great question for our buddy Brian, who you've heard and seen on some of the podcasts and such. Uh, Brian is a very big proponent of using the first light leafy suit with nothing on underneath. That's it. right. <laughs> so. However, I feel as if if you're going to hike in, there might be a little rub involved with that. So you might want to be careful on that deal. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think that would be it. Uh, don't try to not sweat because you're not going to. Uh, you just have to make sure and just be real mindful of the wind. And I don't really, I don't know if you smell any worse if you sweat, whether if or if you don't. I think deer smell you the same. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, like I people kind of overemphasize overemphasize the sweat thing. Yeah, I think it's just the way it is. Yeah, I mean, I would just probably wear, I don't know, wear something that keeps you cool. The trace yeah. stuff, man. Trace stuff. I like that stuff a lot. Yeah. If it's real humid, you're going to be hot no matter what. But that trace stuff, if it's 
you know, if you got any breeze or dry stuff at all, that stuff works. It good. really does, man. It's, it's pretty cool stuff. And man. there's there's zips, man. You can get yeah. some ventilation. That's right, dude. Yeah. Hip zips. Yeah. <laughs> For early season tree stand hunting, do you favor morning or evening sits? Mm. I'm an evening guy like year round, <laughs> but it doesn't mean that I don't like morning. Yeah. I'm mornings more I, in the early season. I think uh, evenings... I mean, they're both great if if you feel good about your setup. But evenings are a good time to, uh, if you're in a place where you can make moves on deer, to maybe not be in a tree. I like uh, I like evenings because uh, I like to be able to see as I access and get real sneaky and get up in there and get them killed. That's a good point too. Is there spots <clears throat> you avoid in the mornings, and do you panic if you're running late? KC doesn't. I could sure. I mean, I couldn't live if I managed without running late. <laughs> uh, now, the running late thing, I, I do run late sometimes, but it's not always. Uh, a lot of times I run late because there's, like, just circumstances, right? Like, the, Eric and I, the other day, we were we had, like, a great plan, and then there was trucks there, and it mm-hmm. ruined it, and all of a sudden running late and panicking, right? Um, but I think for sure we've, we've hit it a few times, but it's worth saying uh, I avoid the food sources mm-hmm. in the morning. Do not do not go and bump deer off the field. Yeah, so even close to the food source, because as you're going in, deer might be seeing the first light even better than you are, and they're they're leaving the field and working their way back slowly. So you might be 300 yards from the field and still be. So that's where like doing those loops and stuff might be pretty good idea. This is from Timber Ninja. <clears throat> Mm. Have you tried the guacamole? How do you say tacky? Tacky? I don't know. How Takis. You say Takis. Okay. No, I don't eat that trash, man. <clears throat> My kids probably free. have. Journey, have you tried the guacamole? Takis? 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 Guacamole? Oh. Good. Mm. Way to go. What's wrong with Takis? They're disgusting. That's right. <laughs> oh, They're gross. Disgusting. <laughs> oh, are they good? Yeah. Well, right. Jet says Jet good. approved. Yep. All right. What? What's the most important thing to consider for early season hunts? Um, man, is this, I mean, that's a very general and broad question. But if you're thinking about whitetail tactics, um, whitetail tactics wise, we just go back to what we said with the finding the food source. I think that's exactly it. Yeah. I mean, at that time of the year, the deer don't have anything else on their minds except living. Yeah. So they and, have to eat. And part of that living that time of year in a lot of places is fat reserves that they're so they literally it's not even like it's not even like they're just, you know, eating because they're hungry. It's not maintaining. Yeah. It's like we're they're they're eating so much food, yeah. especially up north, man. Like those deer are fat, fat in September, yeah. man. I think maybe that then there's something to that to get a little bit deeper. Um Early season, deer are going to do the same thing every day until something bumps them mm-hmm. or they change their pattern because, it, you know, they start to feel a little ruddy or whatever. So maybe if you want something, a different answer than food, it's uh, go in to kill. Don't go in and bump them because you're kind of halfway working or whatever because you're going to mess up the pattern. Mm-hmm. Like there is a – a lot of times there is a just set up pattern as long as they haven't been messed with and – if you pick the right day, you can go kill them. Yeah. I would say also if you're thinking about like early October, uh, you grunted in a deer one time. Mm-hmm. So uh, even on those patterns, when you start getting just 
into October and that start getting cooler, it's not a bad idea if you throw out the Hail Mary grunt call because it mm-hmm. can work like mm-hmm. it did that day. What is the best method for spot and stock and thick timber with a bow? No saddle. Um, I'd say just be super quiet and slow. Mm-hmm. And try to uh, work the opposite direction that deer are working. And if you, could, if you can see a deer before it sees you and get real still, then you can shoot it. Yeah, I mean, I think you're going to have, you go back to the food source thing, you're going to have deer that travel to a food source from a bedding area, and then a lot of times maybe even uh, they they like that spot because they're going into the wind. So maybe you use like the 90-degree rule that we talk about mm-hmm. where you're working kind of across the wind trying to get into those deer, right? Um, and then, like KC said, I don't think you can work slow enough almost. Um, I mean, three small, quiet steps and glass. Yeah. You know. I almost want to change my answer. I don't think you can spot and stalk deer in in the timber. You can still hunt. Yeah. Which is, is probably, people use that a little bit synonymously, but yeah. they're two different things, right? Spot and stalk is like, you see it and then you walk in range and shoot it and you could do it. I shouldn't say can't, but it is not very effective. Still mm-hmm. hunting, I think, is the way to do it. For sure. Yeah. For like sure. Like, once you're, like, on a deer, let them come to you. Yeah. I, I kind of assumed that yeah. that's what he meant. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, that's what I was saying is basically you're still hunting, which is very, very slow stalking through the woods, essentially. And you just want to glass as much as possible, I think. Because even in the woods, you're looking at stuff 100 yards plus sometimes, and... It's maybe just a couple of gaps, but you got to be able to see that deer as soon as he is within your sight. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, he's going to see you. How do you approach getting to hunt a new piece of land you didn't get to scout beforehand? Uh, I feel like you have to start on on X. I mean, I would, I would for sure. Even if, I mean, if it, even if it was like, oh well, uh, you know, there's a truck in your spot, and you don't have any. You know, Plan B's. Um, I mean, I'm going. I'm going straight to Onyx. Mm-hmm. Or if somebody was like, "Hey, I'm going to helicopter drop you off, Bear Grill style, in this spot." I, I guess I don't know how else this happens, but um, I'm I, as soon as I hit the ground, I'm on it on X. And so the first thing I'm doing, and I don't know if this is like an e scout question or not, but that's that is how I'm scouting it, and I'm basically using just my experience and knowledge hunting over the whole course of my life for the last over 25 years to make assumptions about where deer will be based off of what time of year it is, what the temperatures are and what other resources are in the area. Thinking about the limited resource that Casey talked about and making assumptions. And then from there, it's just going and doing what KC's taught me the last several years and just seeing everything (laughs) with your eyes all at once. You know, asking the question why all the time. That's a good point. We, uh, we got us a Texas deer lease this year and the guy we leased from had a couple different places that we could choose from. And he's kind of old school. And I was like, can you send me pins to all those places? And and he could, but he was like kind of taken back that that's what I wanted. And I didn't want pictures from his phone that he sent. It's like, no, I want to be able to look at it on the map. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's exactly 
the right thing. And then once you establish the place that that you're going to, uh, the you probably need to just there's like a fork in the road, and you need to decide if you're going to trophy hunt or if you're going to deer hunt. Mm-hmm. If you're going to trophy hunt, I would say put a bunch of cameras on that thing. That's that would be the thing to do to figure out what is the biggest deer on the property and like what and make like a hit list and do the whole thing right mm-hmm. or if you're just trying to deer hunt have fun go out there use your woodsmanship set up and shoot a deer uh, that's kind of i think that might be another thing to throw in there it's like you need to decide how you're going to approach the property mm-hmm. yeah. yeah uh trying to shoot a big deer trophy hunting and stuff you might play a little more conservative even in your scouting mm-hmm. your, you know on the ground scouting there's nothing wrong with in-season scouting either finding mm-hmm. signs during the season so. yeah like uh, you talking about like uh, crop circles and stuff? Oh, or yeah, what? that's yeah. it. <laughs> uh, final two questions. Oh my goodness! What's your preferred spine for arrows? Heavy or more flexible? Okay, so uh, the person who's asking this question it seems like they're trying to dabble into kind of the deeper parts of archery, which is like arrow building and setups and tuning and all that. Uh, I'm going to try to approach this like in a how do you say this? I'm not trying to tell you that you're dumb or anything, right? But that there's not really a thing called preferred spine. Uh, spine is the stiffness of the arrow in relation to your bow setup. And it's pretty much a set number depending on point weight, draw weight, and draw length. So, like the there's not really a preferred spine, but I think what you're trying to get at is maybe like arrow weight, uh, because spine is different than that. Spine is a stiffness. There are light, very stiff arrows, and there are heavy, very stiff arrows, and there are light, flexible arrows, and there are light, or and there are heavy, flexible arrows. Okay, so don't think that spine means weight because they're two different scales, right? It's just think of it like uh, a a plastic straw and a piece of spaghetti, right? They're probably about the same weight, but that piece of spaghetti has a lot higher spine than the plastic straw does. Okay, so um, in general, we all end up sh- shooting a heavier spined arrow because we all of us shoot 70 pounds. Uh, Eric and I are like a 28 inch straw, or 28 and a half, Tyler's 29 and a half. So, like, we need a heavier spined arrow. If you are a shorter draw length, you're going to want a lighter spine because, for one thing, your arrow is shorter, and a lot of times you're not putting out as much energy from your bow because of that. Um, So I think all that to say, um, don't think of spine as something that's adjustable. You pretty much are are set at a certain spine for your setup. Now, to answer the question I think this person is asking, uh, do I prefer heavier or lighter setups? I like to err a little bit on the heavier side. in most situations uh, for whitetail because I just like to be able to shoot whatever broadhead I want to and know I'm going to punch through the animal. Ditto. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if y'all can tell, but um, it's not that Tyler can't, but he just doesn't really care to clog his mind with a lot of that information (laughs) on the spot. I I, uh, I mean, I'm uh, just, yeah, very similar, like shoot uh, heavier. Casey shoots a little bit heavier than I do, but I would consider it a heavier arrow. And um, I would give the advice that you can go to your local archery shop and they give you at least a decent idea of what your spine should That's be. That's a great point, dude. Like, go to a reputable archery shop and, like, if you if you don't want to have to mess with that stuff, you don't have to. Yep. Yep. All right, last question. Favorite movie of all time? 
<clears throat> well, I've got three to choose from. Because <laughs> there's only you've watched. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a tough one, though. I don't know, man. Um, oh, was it Spectre by Golden or uh, uh, James Bond uh, Spectre series or from the James Bond series, the Spectre movie? I think is that the one that opens up with that epic, like multi-storied building scene? I don't know. Yeah, I, I haven't watched it. I that scene, it. that opening scene of Spectre, I think it is, was insane. That was, I think, was that Daniel Craig's first? Um, I've never watched movie. a Daniel Craig, James Bond. They're good. Yeah, I bet. It, it was weird because I grew up with Pierce Brosnan, mm-hmm. and that was like, dude, he, he is, is James Bond. He is the James Bond. <laughs> yeah. Like, like he, his name is not actually yeah. Pierce Brosnan, right? Yeah. Uh, but that that was a good one for sure. But I don't know, Sandlot's up there for me too. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. yeah, Eric, you're gonna have to answer this question too. Uh, so think about yours. Well, he just said mine. So Sandlot's it. <laughs> no, yeah. okay, I'll not choose a not uh, Cardinals in it, the outfield or whatever it's, it's called. It's Moneyball or Sandlot. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. I never watched Moneyball. Um, man, that? that's that's a hard thing for me to answer too because I really liked uh, Two Towers, which was the second in the Lord of, Lord of the Rings trilogy, and then. Uh, probably Revenge of the Sith, which is episode three of Star Wars. It's in the the prequels, episode three. Uh, I like fantasy, if you can't tell. Um, so, yeah. And to tell you what, dude, it's kind of a cliche answer, but Avatar, the first one, was bad to the bone. Like I saw it at an IMAX. Yeah. It was awesome. Me too. <laughs> and it wasn't like it was the best movie, but the special effects or mm-hmm. whatever, you know, the animation was just insane, right? So... I don't know. Those are my off-the-cuff answers, I think. Cool. That's it. Yeah. You didn't answer. Well, Moneyball or Sandlot? Moneyball. Not okay. Hardball? No. Well, hard, Hardball's good, What too, about the actually. rookie? Do you like the rookie? Uh, it's all right. It's what all about right. Angels in the Outfield or no. Cardinals in the Outfield? Yeah. No. What about, uh, <laughs> what about um, what's the Robert Redford baseball movie? I like that one a lot. Uh, I don't think I know. And it the it's like, oh, man. The Natural? The Natural. Yeah. yeah. That was good. Yeah. And then Kevin Costner had a couple of good baseball movies. Mm-hmm. What was the name of the um, – see, Field of Dreams is my least favorite of those. I liked uh, Bull Durham a yeah, whole lot. And then one. there was another one that was uh, just a little bit more of a like a nice story. Do you remember mm-hmm. what that was? Mm, I think – I can't think of the name, though. So What's the name of Wild Thing? What's the name of that movie? Uh, Major League. Major League, yeah. dude. Major League is a classic. <laughs> yep. It's real good, too. <laughs> Oh, it's awesome. Imagine that. <laughs> uh, what about, what about um, what's the one Kevin Hart and Will Ferrell were in? Um, yeah, I get hard. It's a <laughs> cop movie. funny, man. Yeah. Those guys are hilarious. Oh, yeah. Maybe we should break that down into, like, yeah, favorite genre. comedy. Yeah. yeah. What's, your favorite, what's your favorite comedy? Yeah, that one's good. I mean, that, that, that one is a good one. Which one? Uh, the the Get Hard or whatever it's called. Yeah. I like that Kevin one. Hart. I'm trying to think. I feel like there's another one that I really like uh, comedy-wise. Man, we're probably dating ourselves as millennials, but I think <laughs> a lot of us are going to say Will Ferrell movies. Oh, yeah. this, You know, Mine's like not. Talladega Nights is one of my favorite comedies <laughs> of all time. I don't even know if I've seen the whole thing. Oh, my gosh. I've seen, <laughs> I've seen most parts of it, though. Yeah. That and um, Happy Gilmore. Mm, it's hard to be. Classic. Yeah. We were talking about that. See, in youth class, we were talking about Happy, Happy Gilmore the other day because even the kids, like, you know, 10-year-old kids love Happy Gilmore. Really? Yeah. Hmm. So, Adam Sandler is timeless. Yep. He is. He's a talented guy. He is. Good basketball player. Yeah. He's good at um, 
He plays guitar too, I think. Does he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about that? What's yep. yours? Favorite comedy? Uh, Dumb and Dumber. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness, <laughs> dude. It's pretty good. You know, I'm not. I think that's like a classic movie oh. for our generation, but it's not. It's not one of my favorites. Yeah. It's it's good. No, uh, Ace Ventura. Oh, that is hard, <laughs> dude. To Jim Carrey, <laughs> dude, funny guy. He is a hilarious guy. Yeah. The uh, was it the Nate when nature calls? Yeah. Is that the one where he does the? Uh, he's in the jeep, just like <laughs> oh, going. Yeah. yeah. All, it's a smooth road. He looks. <laughs> There's something in my teeth. Um. <laughs> I hold silver away. <laughs> um, okay. This kid, favorite animated movie, Eric. Oh, oh uh, which ones have I seen? I don't, have I seen one? Yeah, Mario? you've seen a ton of animated I movies. Saw Mario. Dude. Uh, I don't even know. Yeah, does Ninja Turtles count? No, no, because <laughs> that's claymation. Yeah, I guess. claymation or something. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't know. I don't really oh, have one. His, if he's Space thinking Jam? about claymation, then his favorite is uh, is it Rudolph? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the Rudolph yeah. movie because he's in it. Oh yeah, Corn- oh, Simon, yeah, yeah. Not Cornelius. Yukon uh, <laughs> Cornelius. Yukon yeah. Cornelius. Yeah, yeah that's, that's him. Eric. I guess Space Jam. I don't know. There's some animation yeah. to that. I'll give you that one. Yeah, and that's that's a good one. <laughs> that good might one. be mine too. It's Cassie's favorite. Um, I really like Aladdin a lot, dude. The new Aladdin I didn't is watch rock it. and roll, dude. Yeah. That thing, that thing is cool. Yeah. Yeah, Will Smith is a genie there. It just didn't sell to me. <laughs> well, dude, this is before all that. What? No, I'm not. I'm just saying. In gen- I'm not saying like his slap oh, thing. He was really good, was he? Yeah, yeah. Speaking yeah. of all that, do you remember all that? It was like the kid version of SNL when we were younger. Yeah, I remember that. Like all that note. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> I always liked the um, that slime thing on, yeah. on Nickelodeon, whatever that was called. Mm-hmm. Uh, favorite uh, favorite childhood cartoon. Like what I watched or like yeah, you yeah. mean you've had to have watched it right? But like a what did I watch? Cartoon you watched a lot? I didn't really watch a lot of cartoons. Uh, Land Before Time. Oh yeah, that's, that's a, a movie point. though. Well, it was animated cartoon. Uh, you mean like a series? Like a TV? Yeah, like, yeah. A, okay. like on TV? Yeah. Um, what? When's your childhood in, end? <laughs> Eighteen, according to <laughs> yeah, Americans. Well, maybe. Uh, <laughs> If you say like thirteen, there was a series called uh, Batman Beyond, which was kind of like an edgy Batman. That was kind of like for you know preteens. I thought yeah. it was pretty cool. Yeah, I loved Recess. It was pretty that's good. a good one. Yeah, <laughs> TJ yeah, Detweiler. I, <laughs> I forgot about that. Mikey. Yeah, I'd have Mikey to say Snyder. I'd probably go with Rocket Power. I don't even know what that is. You don't remember Rocket Power? Uh-uh. Well, you remember Pepper Ann? Yeah, yeah. You sing that all the time. Pepper and there's something with your sister and Pepper Ann. Yeah, she's she's like I guess she just loves those theme songs so yeah. much. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, I pretty much only watch action and comedy. Mm-hmm. And I mean, honestly, um, what are the vampire movies that we watch? Um, no, Transylvania Hotel no. Transylvania. Hotel Transylvania. Those are hilarious. <laughs> Pretty funny. That's yeah. Adam Sandler. He's oh, the is it? he's Dracula. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, those okay. are good. To wrap it up. Favorite classic outdoor TV show? Mm. Mm. Man, of all time? Like series or Yeah, episode? do whatever you want to with Does it. Does that count? Crocodile Hunter? Does that count? What is that? Mm-mm. Crocodile Hunter? Is that the Steve Hunter? Irwin show? Is that what it's yeah. called? Crocodile Hunter? <laughs> That's not what it's called, is it? <laughs> is that what it's called? <laughs> do you remember that? <laughs> or what? Isn't it? No, I was like, what is it? Yeah, it was Steve Irwin, Irwin right? Crocodile Hunter is the name of the show? 
I have to look this up now. You that's got weird. me weirded out. I mean, out. that's like I his name. Everything else about him except that. Yeah. Steve and Terry Irwin, Bindi, and whatever their son's name is. Bambi. Uh, Bambi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've typed in Crocodile Hunter and Steve Irwin came up. Okay. The Crocodile, known as the Crocodile Hunter. Yeah. Right. That's what I thought, but then he was like making me question my no, I entire don't remember the name of the show at all. Um, yeah, I don't know if you can say that one. No. No, that's not really. It's got to be hunting, right? Or yeah. fishing. Which I did watch Steve catch a pig one time. That was pretty cool. Yeah, it was like in a it was like in a in a waller, and he just went out there and grabbed it. I know your favorite. What's that, Jose Wahembe? <laughs> I liked that. Well, I was thinking hunting, but Jose Wahembe's Span- uh, Spanish yeah, fly no. was was good. Yeah, it's a good show. Um, yeah. Okay, so can we do fishing and hunting? Sure. All right. Let me think about this. You yeah. got one yet? Not really. I mean, I don't, never you didn't really grow had up a, uh, watching it though. Right? I, I mean, I did, the but it was like I didn't have a favorite. I was like, yeah. I liked Jim Shockey. I liked yeah. Lee and Tiffany. I mean, my favorite was the Ranch Buck. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, my, I just so growing up, there was like kind of three or four camps, right? Mm. So there was like the real tree stuff. There was the mossy oak stuff. There was the primo stuff. And then I feel like Primos and Mossy Oak were in the same kinda, but Mossy Oak was its own deal though too. Yeah, you know, Cuz and all them. Uh, but yeah. I was a real tree guy. I liked real tree. I liked because they traveled kind of up north and went to cool places and stuff. So I think real tree outdoors, like the original the stuff, first, is my favorites. The first DVD or DVD, the first VHS, <laughs> first video I ever bought that was a hunting video was Whistling Wings One. Mm. And I think it was one, maybe in two, and but I ended up buying several more after that, and that was that was Mossy Oak, Toxie Hayes, mm-hmm. and I thought it was the coolest <laughs> thing ever, dude. I would watch them every night going to bed. Watch yeah. same D, same VHS over and over and over again. Um, so I can remember that, but I think like as I as I kind of grew up, I remember like even in college, I watched Real Tree Road Trips all the time, and liked. I mean, Michael Waddell was the man, right? Mm-hmm. So in college, we were watching a lot of Jim Shockey. My friends were all rifle hunters, you know, and we we're into like that kind of western thing or whatever. So we watched a lot. Like when Uncharted came out, which I think was the other show, right? It was that's Shockey's show. Yeah, like yeah. it's the second show he had or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like when that came out, we were like scheduling our weeks around it <laughs> mm-hmm. to watch it when it premiered and stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's cool. Um, about fishing. Favorite fishing show? Um, I liked salt. I was enamored with saltwater when I was a kid. So, like, I watched anything saltwater I could. And um, I think um, there was a couple. Uh, so, there was the hunt for big fish oh. with Larry Dahlberg. Man, I was thinking that was, was a different guy. was one of my uh, top things I watched. And then uh, Mark Sosin had some good fishing stuff I used to watch. Uh, he had a weird hat. Um, <laughs> he did. Fishing guys, he got weird yeah. hats. Bill Dance. Yeah. Yeah. Custom made. They have to be. There's no way that hat sold anymore. I liked I liked Jimmy Houston and Roland Martin a lot. Yeah. Those guys, I watched them a lot. I watched a show when I was little. Come on after school, and I'd just run in there at the lodge. My my dad's fishing place that they had they had and uh we had a little tiny T V that sat in the kitchen 
te- you know, probably like a less than 144p these days. Yeah, you know? oh yeah. You and, could uh, see the the red, blue, green stripes. Yeah, in the yeah, yeah. old mm-hmm. TV. And there was a local show because we only got like Channel Seven, and uh, it was called Larry and Barry. I think it's called Honey Hole, Honey Hole Fishing with Larry honey, and Barry. Yeah, I think. Honey Hole. I remember yeah. Honey Hole Outdoors. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. And then they they fished. Largemouth bass, pretty much. Is that the same Barry as Barry uh, East Texas Outdoorsman? Barry, I mean, whatever. I imagine. I don't know. Because that what was that guy's name, but he was uh, he did that East Texas fishing stuff, and that's where I first saw doodle socking. You know what doodle socking is? They take a big old cane pole, and you tie like an <laughs> AC plug or something like a topwater six inches from the end of the tip, and you just go down the bank and you just you just splash the water with the end of that pole the whole time and bass will come up and hit that lure pretty cool doodles we might need to try it sometime yeah it's like an old technique of fishing you know sounds kind of fun yeah doodle socking huh yeah anyways alright that's, that's cool. your early season whitetail podcast guys thanks <laughs> for the questions I uh, hope you got to go down memory lane with us as well and I hope you kill a really really big buck in the early season this year remember this is your element live in it Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit markethouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins.